section thirty of history of henry the fourth king of france and navarre by john stevens cabot abbott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eleven the conversion of the king part two henry however was a politician not a christian and nothing is more amazing than the deaf ear which even apparently good men can turn to the pleadings of conscience when they are involved in the mazes of political ambition the process of conversion was for decency's sake protracted and ostentatious as henry probably had no fixed religious principles he could with perhaps as much truth say that he was a catholic as that he was a protestant on the twenty third of july fifteen ninety three the king listened to a public argument five hours in length from the archbishop of bourges upon the points of essential difference between the two antagonistic creeds henry found the reasoning of the archbishop most comfortably persuasive and having separated himself for a time from mornay he professed to be solemnly convinced that the roman catholic faith was the true religion those who knew henry the best declare that he was sincere in the change and his subsequent life seems certainly to indicate that he was so the duke of sully who refused to follow henry into the catholic church records as uprightness and sincerity formed the depth of his heart as they did of his words i am persuaded that nothing would have been capable of making him embrace a religion which he internally despised or of which he even doubted in view of this long interview with the archbishop of bourges henry wrote to the frail but beautiful gabrielle d'estrees i began this morning to speak to the bishops on sunday i shall take the perilous leap the king's connection with gabrielle presented another strong motive to influence his conversion henry when a mere boy had been constrained by political considerations to marry the worthless and hateful sister of charles the ninth for the wife thus coldly received he never felt an emotion of affection she was an unblushing profligate the king in one of his campaigns met the beautiful maiden gabrielle in the chateau of her father they both immediately loved each other in a relation prohibited by the divine law soon existed between them never perhaps was there a better excuse for unlawful love but guilt ever brings woe neither party were happy gabrielle felt condemned and degraded and urged the king to obtain a divorce from the notoriously profligate margaret of valois that their union might be sanctioned by the rights of religion henry loved gabrielle tenderly her society was his chiefest joy and it is said that he ever remained faithful to her he was anxious for a divorce from marguerite and for marriage with gabrielle but this divorce could only be obtained through the pope hence gabrielle exerted all her influence to lead the king into the church that this most desired end might be attained the king now openly proclaimed his readiness to renounce protestantism and to accept the papal creed the catholic bishops prepared an act of abjuration rejecting very decisively one after another every distinguished article of the protestant faith the king glanced his eye over it and instinctively recoiled from an act which he seemed to deem humiliating he would only consent to sign a very brief declaration in six lines of his return to the church of rome 
the paper however which he had rejected containing the emphatic recantation of every article of the protestant faith was sent to the pope with the forged signature of the king the final act of renunciation was public and was attended with much dramatic pomp in the great church of saint denis it was sunday the twenty fifth of july fifteen ninety three the immense cathedral was richly decorated flowers were scattered upon the pavements and garlands and banners festooned the streets and the dwellings at eight o'clock in the morning henry presented himself before the massive portals of the cathedral he was dressed in white satin with a black mantle and chapeau the white plume which both pen and pencil have rendered illustrious waved from his hat he was surrounded by a gorgeous retinue of nobles and officers of the crown several regiments of soldiers in the richest uniform preceded and followed him as he advanced toward the church though a decree had been issued strictly prohibiting the populace from being present at the ceremony an immense concourse thronged the streets greeting the monarch with enthusiastic cries of vivre le roi the archbishop of bourges was seated at the entrance of the church in a chair draped with white damask the cardinal of bourbon and several bishops glittering in pontifical robes composed his brilliant retinue the monks of saint denis were also in attendance clad in their sombre attire bearing the cross the gospels and the holy water thus the train of the exalted dignitary of the church even eclipsed in splendour the suite of the king as henry approached the door of the church the archbishop as if to repel intrusion imperiously inquired who are you i am the king henry modestly replied what do you desire demanded the archbishop i ask answered the king to be received into the bosom of the catholic apostolic and roman religion do you desire this sincerely rejoined the archbishop i do the king replied then kneeling at the feet of the prelate he pronounced the following oath i protest and swear in the presence of almighty god to live and die in the catholic apostolic and roman religion to protect and defend it against all its enemies at the hazard of my blood and life renouncing all heresies contrary to it the king then placed a copy of this oath in writing in the hands of the archbishop and kissed the consecrated ring upon his holy finger then entering the cathedral he received the absolution of his sins and the benediction of the church a te deum was then sung high mass was solemnized and thus the imposing ceremony was terminated it is easy to treat this whole affair as a farce the elements of ridicule are abundant but it was by no means a farce in the vast influences which it evolved catholic historians have almost invariably assumed that the king acted in perfect good faith being fully convinced by the arguments of the church even henry's protestant friend the duke of sully remarks i should betray the cause of truth if i suffered it even to be suspected that policy the threats of the catholics the fatigue of labour the desire of rest and of freeing himself from the tyranny of foreigners or even the good of the people had entirely influenced the king's resolution as far as i am able to judge of the heart of this prince 
which I believe I know better than any other person, it was indeed these considerations which first hinted to him the necessity of his conversion. But in the end he became convinced in his own mind that the Catholic religion was the safest. Others have affirmed that it was a shameful act of apostasy in which the king, stimulated by ambition and unlawful love, stooped to hypocrisy and feigned a conversion which in heart he despised. He is represented as saying with levity, Paris is well worth a mass. End of section 30